left, right. Yo, thank you for joining this episode. This episode is about mental health. This is a serious episode. We try our best to make light of it and to be as educational as possible. If you're feeling depressed, you uh, you may want to uh, consider uh, professional help before listening to this episode. Um, but we do try our best to uh, to share from our experiences. Let me know what you think in the comments. Uh, if you're uh, if you're not a subscriber, please subscribe to this podcast. We greatly appreciate it. It helps us grow. Um, and as always, thank you guys for listening. I'll see you guys on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 What is up? Hello, hey, everybody. Yo. My name is Justin Julio out of my basement, New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell, philosophant, accounter, bartender, uh, referee. He's, uh, he's got them all, all the designations. This is Sip Talk, episode. Philosophant and accounter. <laughs> <laughs> episode 153. Uh, today, we're talking about mental health. Uh, we'll be drinking while we do so because this is Sip Talk, where we drink and... Uh, and we talk. So uh, to get started, before we get into mental health, we're still talking about cryptocurrency. We're going to try to skip through that. Uh, what are you drinking down there in uh, sunny South Carolina? Changing it up and going back to box wine. Uh, mm-hmm. For some reason, I'm cold right now, so I didn't feel like drinking a cold beer. Ah, well, you could have drank a warm beer. Mm, yeah, but then I would have had to plan ahead. So look, so I got this, I, you know, I was going to try to take it light today, but I was going through the, the cellar here trying to find somebody to drink and uh, I couldn't find a good whiskey. So I found this bottle of uh, Belvedere vodka. Now it says on, it says Belvedere vodka. It's in gold. Now I had the same bottle and it's got a silver label on it, but this is Belvedere vodka, unfiltered, rare diamond rye. So now I, I actually don't realize, you know, if I bought a vodka or if I bought a a whiskey. So, I mean, and since it's got the gold instead of the silver, we're just going to open it up and uh, find out what's inside. This is kind of exciting for me. And you're drinking uh, what type of box wine down there? Boda Box Red Volution, just a red blend. Okay. And that's almost certainly going to be vodka. Yeah, it's definitely vodka. Uh, it, well, it says both vodka and rye on the. Well, rye is just whatever grain it was made from. But I, I think when it comes to spending money on liquor, spending money on expensive vodka is probably the least effective use of your alcohol-based dollars. I, I would agree, bud, because there's a certain standard I had for vodka, but pretty much anything above that is, is about the same. So I'll give you the pour here. It says unfiltered, so I'm wondering if it's, it might be a little hazy. It nope. shouldn't be. No. Uh, I'm pouring it into a dirty glass here too. So, <laughs> in fact, it's been, a, it's been the glass. Yeah, we're using a real scientific it. way to analyze this. It's been the glass but, I've been drinking out of for the last few episodes. Um, you know, I I notice uh, when my mental health is poor, um, I'm a bit messier. Uh, I'm less. I'm actually less OCD. So I've trained my OCD to actually be pretty good on point. I don't take it too too crazy. But when I was a kid, it was it was a bit wild. However, when I'm when I'm in a good place and I'm working on like self development and uh, I'm taking care of myself, my OCD kind of kicks in for the good. So you know, every decision I make, I kind of stop and say, "Hey, is this a good decision? Hey, you know, do I want to wake up and get out of bed, or hey, do I want to, you know, sleep in a little bit, or uh, hey, should I clean up my plate after me, stick it in the dishwasher, or uh, should I just leave it in the sink?" So uh, you know, my OCD really kicks in. And uh, when my when my mental health isn't great, I, I sleep in more. I don't clean up as much. Uh, I'm not saying my mental health is bad, but I am I am drinking out of a dirty glass here in my basement. So, <laughs> um, so but that's it's a little weird. Uh, and I think mental health being being your topic, I'm hoping you got uh, a bit of an earful for me. Um, but I think it's a good topic considering 
kind of where we stand with coronavirus and you know uh, children kind of mental development and social development and things like that so well i'll tell you really quick where where the idea came from is well for one i kind of want to just talk about this as a current event not directly related to mental health but i think it's a fascinating story and it would be hilarious if it weren't tragic and that's the the school shooting that happened about a week ago in michigan Mm -hmm. i know very little about this but well but um for possibly the first time ever the parents of the kid who committed the the shooting are also under arrest and are actually in jail right now no shit. have you heard about this no not at all well they bought him a gun about a week before he he shot people and in the time between when he was bought the gun and when he shot people at one point he was in in class or whatever in in the school somewhere and was looking up ammunition and a teacher caught him and well, his- uh, okay hold on and just pause there so you're a kid you got uh you got a gun that's given to you now when i was a kid we had paintball guns we had bb guns you had airsoft guns i had a bow and arrow we grew up kind of in the country and we had other kids in our school that had rifles and hunting guns. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, when you, when you're in a community where people hunt and guns are a bit more common, also the South, uh, that would be an interest, almost like a sporting interest. So if, if your sporting interest was billiards and you were in the library looking up pool cues, I get that. So just with what you've given me so far, no cause for alarm. But, I'd say moderate cause for alarm, and here's why. And take into again, context I don't know. the school that we went to. I don't. I don't the know first the con- day of hold hunting on, season. Hold on, hear me out. I, I don't, again, I don't know the context. I'm react, and I don't know anything about it. I'm just reacting to the information. The kid was bought a gun, and then he was looking up ammunition online. I don't. Maybe he was looking up like how to kill people online. What what is a good ammunition? I don't know. I don't know. What <laughs> oh no, it, it gets worse. But okay, but, even but so, to, back to so where like, back to where we're from. Just to give people a little bit of background about the type of school that we went to for high school. Um, the first day of hunting season in New York, if I remember correctly, was sometime in like early November. And on that day, probably like 10 to 20% of the kids in the school called out sick. So they could go hang out in the woods and, and try to shoot deer. Yeah. But the there's a big difference between hunting rifle ammunition and handgun ammunition. Like when you go out hunting, you don't bring a pistol. Like at most, sometimes if you're doing, if you're hunting something dangerous, like I know in the South, um, feral pigs, we've already talked about this like a year ago, that hunting feral pigs is something that people do. And since those things can actually be really dangerous if they charge at you, then usually what people have is like their hunting rifle and then like a large caliber revolver. Yeah. That, but, that that was going to be the case I was going to make for bringing a handgun with you, but that would be the the only case. right. But even if you're if you're bringing a pistol with you on a on a hunting trip, you're not bringing like a nine millimeter semi-automatic handgun because it's just not the right tool for the job. Like there's no reason to to ever go hunting with like a nine by nineteen chambered pistol. Okay, so um, so get kind of get back to so where he's, this guy well, is. so the the gun he bought was chambered for nine by nineteen, which is the most common round, and it's not used for hunting ever. Okay, so that's a red flag there. Just like why are you looking up ammunition in school? And so when the teachers reached out to his parents about it, that the text message that his mother sent back to the kid was, "I'm not mad. You need to learn how to not get caught." Um, interesting. But again, I don't. There may so be that incident more... by itself. How old is not, the kid? I don't know, sixteen, maybe seventeen. Okay, little little young to be having a gun. If if I don't know what the age of a gun is, but I can tell you that well, I was, eighteen I was... is the the age that you can buy a pistol. In some states, it's twenty one for like long rifles. 
Well, yeah, and, and driving. So his parents on, bought him the gun. And driving in our state was, you know, you couldn't get your permit until you were 16, but we were driving it at 14 and 15 years old, at least in the driveway and, and kind of off the public roads. So, right. And, and a vehicle is a deadly weapon, or could be. So, okay. So here's where it gets worse. Okay. Is the day of the shooting. He, um, a teacher sees that he has like a drawing or a note on his desk and it's got a picture of like somebody being shot and saying like the thoughts won't stop blood everywhere. So the teacher sees this and they call the parents and they show like the, they show the parents the note by the time that the, the parents got there, like the note had been altered by the kid, okay. but the school recommended that they take him out of school for the day and the parents refused. Okay. And it was that day that he shot up the classroom. Yeah. Like two hours later. And the parents also like didn't check to see, first of all, they store the stored the gun in an unsecure location. According to reports, it was in like a bedroom drawer or something, not locked, not secured. So the kid had gone into their room and taken it. If that's even true, if it, it's possible that like it was even wor- poorly stored than that, but even at, at, at their account, it was poorly hidden and not secured. And the kid had taken the gun and brought it to school. So they didn't think to check for where their gun was. Well, and also, you know, I, I will say a child under the age of 18 is in the parent's custody. So parents are responsible for their children that's kind of a fact of life so i you know i'll give it i'll give it to you know the state or the school or whoever's uh prosecuting the parents that you know that is you know again i have mixed feelings and i'm kind of reacting to this live as you're feeding me the details but ultimately children are your responsibility so there may have been some red flags there might have been some flags that didn't appear like red flags but at the end of the day it's your responsibility i mean if from you, the way that the note was describing that one's not that's about as big a red flag as you can possibly imagine. And the parents refused to take him out of school for the day. Well, and, and at, and the, and the school requested that they take him out. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this is one where it's hard to find fault with the way that the school handled things. Um, yeah. So, but let's, let's get a little more. Into well, so, health. I don't know. I was thinking about that because the, the news update today, because the, after the parents were charged and after the warrant was out for their arrest, they disappeared for like two days. And they were eventually arrested in like a warehouse in Detroit. Where was the kid? Already in jail. Okay. So the kid was apprehended. And the yeah, the kid was already in jail. And then the warrant goes out for the parents' arrest. They go on the run. They eventually are found and arrested. And they, they each got their own separate lawyer. And they didn't even hire a lawyer for the kid. The state had to appoint a lawyer for the kid. Wow. All right. All right. And I'm just thinking, it it got me thinking about how we describe gun violence in this country and how often we hear that, like, that it's not a gun problem or a violence problem. It's a mental health problem. And then I just started thinking about how we haven't ever talked about mental health on this podcast directly and how it's a huge issue. And in the last year and a half or so, it's only gotten worse coronavirus and, being a main factor there and i'm just going to take a, a a racial stab in the dark at this and say that this kid was white correct okay yeah it's you know you never have the asian asian kid like throwing down his calculator and pulling out an uzi it's uh it's always a white kid shooting at the school not always but as far as i know it to be the case um so you know and mental health is is a, a really big issue. Um, I'm just kind of drawing attention to the race because it seems to always be white kids and male that are shooting schools. So um, I don't know what that says, but I'd be interested to look at the case. demographics. But that I, I would certainly agree with you. Yeah, as far as far as as far as I know, uh, I don't know what and what we can pull from that data, but uh, you know, speculative it it appears to be the case. So look, I want to define mental health real quick just before we get too deep into this and mental health being our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. Yeah, real quick, Lisa and Coco Sinson are both agreeing with me that there are huge red flags and that the parents completely ignored them. 
Yeah, uh, I don't know all the facts. Um, you know, looking up ammunition again, I'd need to know more details. What was on the screen, and probably not something that you want to be looking up in school just because it's kind of a contraband item, right? If there's a kid looking up like different liquor or something, that would probably be a red flag, also. Um, and so I don't know. Um, so the kids that looking the kid that's looking up liquor probably isn't shooting up the school though. Well, when it gets to mental health, he might be the depressed kid, and that might be uh, one of the signs. But, I, you know. I... Yeah, his aim's not going to be so good, though. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and we can get into coping mechanisms in, uh, <laughs> in a little bit. So, uh, so why does mental health matter? And, uh, and I have, uh, it determines how we handle stress, stressful situations, how we make choices, day-to-day choices and greater life impacting choices um, and how we relate to others and how we socialize. So Elizabeth is pointing out, and I would agree, mental health problems are on our young adults. And I think what she's implying is that it seems to be a bigger problem with young people today. I do notice that younger people uh, certainly have greater mental health issues than than their predecessors you know older people tend to deal better with stress and i don't know if that's necessarily just because they ignore it more more so often um or if if they have less of it because they have a different perspective on the world um, or they have better coping mechanisms my my thought is twofold one is i would ask the question that i can't actually answer which is are mental health problems more prevalent today or are we just doing more to diagnose them slash have the diagnostic criteria loosened so that more things qualify as mental health? So that's one. And then two is when it comes to younger people versus older, older people and mental health is older people were raised during a time when mental health was nowhere near the concern that it is today. So no conversation about it at all. Right. So you might have plenty of older people that had they grown up in today's era would probably probably be experiencing the exact same thing as the kids today. And they've just spent their entire life dealing with an undiagnosed mental illness and found a way of making make it making it through life on their own dealing with it. So it could just be that they were socialized to not care about mental health and have just made it this far by coping. Okay. So you, you're kind of getting caught up by the comments. We'll address the comments. Want to say oh, hi to Maria. Uh, we're recognizing mental health more and more. Uh, schools don't want nothing, want to do nothing about it. Well, I think some schools do want to do things about it, um, but kind of schools are maybe not the best equipped to handle mental illness. And then Robin says 66 out of a hundred mass school shooters are white shooters, which is way lower than I would have thought. Yeah, I would have thought it would have been higher too. No, I can imagine maybe in some more urban areas where uh, you have kind of a bit more of an eclectic mix of, of races and ethnicities attending a school that, you know, that might be where some of that. Uh, Yo, but think about itself it. Out. When you hear about a school shooting, is it how often do you hear about a school shooting at a inner city school to me it's almost always suburban or rural schools yeah i would i would uh, as to my knowledge and i'm speaking of what you know what echoes in my brain uh Mm -hmm. through my ear holes and i listen to a lot of the news it's it's often suburban where you would imagine life would be a lot cushier than in an urban or a rural area but uh but i have a theory that people who don't have much trauma in their life kind of invent their own trauma because because otherwise they just kind of feel like they don't matter or something. I'm, I'm not certain the root of it, but but I have a, a theory that people who don't have much drama or trauma in, invent some of their own. So, you know, that would be people kind of doubling down on whatever is bothering them in the suburbs. My, you know, my thoughts. Um, uh What's up, Joe Durio? Uh, I guess he must be on Facebook. So uh, I don't see the Facebook feed yet. Uh, oh, 
Yeah, Robin Robin's and- doing a good job in the research. I'd like if if Robin can research this for us and throw it into the comments. I'd like to know what percentage of like school shootings happen like urban, suburban, rural. What that split would be. See if it confirms our intuition. So let let me talk real quick about some of the uh, mental health issues and and disorders. Just I want to run through them so that make sure we're on the same page. And anybody who's listening, uh, you know, we can kind of run them. Yeah. Once you do that, we get some comments talking about parents and we can talk about parents role when it comes to their kids' mental health. But but, yeah, you, you do your thing. Let me hit these. So, so first off I have anxiety disorders, uh, mental health disorders might include, uh, generalized anxiety disorders, social phobia, specific phobias, like agoraphobia, claustrophobia, panic disorders, OCD, post-traumatic stress, um, and then behavior and emotional disorders in children, uh, that can manifest itself in, uh, oppositional defiant disorder, ODD. Yo, that one sucks to deal with. Um, and also real quick, um, Ava Marie, uh, we are talking about mental health tonight. And, uh, so children, emotional disorders, behavior, emotional, uh, oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, and ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Bipolar disorder, uh, formerly known as manic depressive, a person with bipolar experiences episodes of mania, elation, and depression. Uh, And then depression is a whole separate disorder. I imagine most people know what depression is, and that can even lead as far as suicidal thoughts to suicide. Disassociation or disassociative disorders, uh, a mental process where a person disconnects from their thoughts, feelings, memories, or sense of identity. Disassociative disorders include disassociative amnesia, um, depersonalization disorder, and disassociation, disassociative identity disorder. Yo, have you ever experienced that? Anything like dissociative? Um, I don't think so. Every, every once in a while, I, I kind of have to ground myself and, and just make sure that I'm existing in reality and what's really happening to me is, is really happening to me. Um, it, it's super weird and hard to describe. It's only happened to me once. It was when I was teaching and I was pretty sick. So I was taking like a lot of cough syrups so that I just wasn't coughing throughout the entire day took a little bit too much and in higher doses um dextromethorphan is a dissociative hallucinogen and i just remember that like i was sitting in a computer lab watching kids and i'm just like what am i even doing here like <laughs> yeah i i actually you know to to a bit of that degree like you just kind of get lost as to like how you know like just with reality and how kind of uh yeah, like I had to step outside of the classroom and just kind of look at my surrounding. And like, it's not like I didn't know how I got there or anything else. It was more of an existential, like what, what existential what was kind of the word my 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 brain was searching for there. Yeah, yeah, it was just weird of like, how did I get to this point that I'm like watching a computer lab of kids do some project or whatever, and like I'm a substitute teacher. It, like, it just made me question a whole bunch of things, and thankfully it wore off. All right, so. Uh... Let me just hit these couple of comments coming in. Uh, so, yes, yes, parents, we need to help our kids. I think older people ignore it and keep occupied. Keep occupied being a, uh, a key coping mechanism. Younger people have more free time and tend to dwell. Um, uh, trust me, I'm a parent. I have an ADD kid. And also an autism kid, it looks autism like. Autism kid. Uh, I know a lot about mental health. And then with this case specifically, the parents showed lots of red flags of their own. Local media has stated based on the evidence, the parents had to be charged. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. When you, when you look at the case, you're just like, of course the parents are going to get charged in this one. Yeah. And, and again, I don't know. And I also don't trust uh, any media anymore. No, this is the process. Like you can watch the press conference that the prosecutor gave and skip the media entirely and just watch what the prosecutor says. Yeah. Well, I think that that would be a good way to listen to it. All right. Next. Uh, I, I did. Next mental health issue, eating disorders. 
uh, anorexia, bulimia nervosa, binge eating. Um, that's not good. And then OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, obsessive recurrent thoughts, images or impulses that are intrusive and unwanted. Uh, compulsions are time consuming and distressing repetitive rituals. Uh, treatments include cognitive behavioral therapy and medications. Paranoia. Paranoia is, an, paranoia is the irrational and persistent feeling that people are out to get you. Um, and it may be a symptom of conditions including paranoid personality disorder, delusional, uh, and schizophrenia. Have so, you been around anybody that's paranoid? Yeah. Like yeah. truly paranoid, not like not just like in a moment they're saying something that sounds a little loony, but like no, true I, actual I, paranoia. I worked with an agent uh, a long time back and he had this kind of wacky paranoia um, and it had kind of manifest itself in real estate and working with clients and how every client was going to go behind his back or the leads that he were getting that he was getting. He was like trying to search their IP addresses to see if they were real. Um, and it, it got really weird, um, but it was definitely a real, a real paranoid, uh, personality disorder. It, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I can't expand on it too, too much here. It was also a while back and I wasn't kind of noting everything, but it was, it was certainly paranoid. It, it's wild to experience when you see it. But, um, but also crippling to the fact where you're, you're not able to get things done. It's, it's debilitating. I dated a girl who who had paranoia, and I remember one time we were walking down the street in Charleston, just like a Sunday afternoon. We we parked and we're walking to a restaurant, right? Okay, right. Yes. Did so. I, I you know all right. Anyway, anyway yeah. There, there, there's people on the street, and everyone's just minding their own business. And as we're walking, her and I are talking, and every like fifteen or twenty seconds, she's just like, "Did you hear that?" I'm like, "No." Did you hear that? No. I was like, what is it? He says, all these people on the street, are, like they're saying things to me. I was like, nobody on the street is paying attention to you any more so that they just need to not like run into you as they pass you by. Yeah. And she's like, no, they're saying all these things to me about something that nobody who didn't like know her <laughs> deeply personally could ever possibly know. I was like, first of all, nobody's talking about you. Second of all, there's no way that anybody in the street would know what you were mentioning. But to her, it was real. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's wild. All right, let me hit the rest of these. I, I get three more. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, um, condition that people can develop as a response to having experienced a traumatic event. Uh, it could be a, uh, a car accident, uh, physical or sexual assault, war-related events, torture, natural disasters, mass death, fires. Uh, psychosis. People affected by psychosis can experience delusions, hallucinations, confused thinking. Psychosis can occur in a number of mental illnesses, including drug-induced psychosis, schizophrenia, and mood disorders. Um, and so, drug-induced psychosis is most most commonly happening with like methamphetamines. Uh, yeah, which I see uh, a lot in. Uh, but in, psychosis in is not really like a condition in and of itself. It's more like a symptom that can manifest with other things. And then uh, schizophrenia, uh, characterized by disruptions to thinking and emotions, disordered perception of reality, um, hallucinations, delusions, thought disorder, social withdrawal, lack of motivation, impaired thinking. People with schizophrenia have high risk of suicide. Um, schizophrenia is not a split personality. Yeah, that's a, I don't know where that misconception started, but like if you're schizophrenic, it doesn't mean that you have two different personalities that just kind of like one chooses to manifest or anything else. That's a completely separate disorder and is considerably more rare. So these are kind of the more serious mental health issues. Any, Do we have phobias? Uh, phobia was kind of under uh, anxiety disorder. And um, and they mentioned agoraphobia and claustrophobia, which, you know, I think the agoraphobia is kind of the, you know, described as the fear of kind of the, the vast openness, but really it's, it's means just leaving your house and going and going outside. Yeah. It, Lisa, 
Lisa says, I, I think a child with obvious mental health instability should never be bought a gun. The text from the mom to the son is haunting. Um, it's really clear from this that they were terrible parents. That Yeah, it sounds like they were pretty bad parents. That's, you know, that that's that's what it sounds like this all stems from is just them being shit parents. Because this um, one, like, there are some school shootings that you look at and you're like, that one would have been kind of hard to prevent. The frustrating thing about this one is how many chances there were to stop this and how they were basically stopped. Uh, the chances, the, the interventions were stopped by the parents. Yeah, the school's interventions, the school did what they needed to do. Uh, you know, maybe they could have done more, but at least they did, you know, whatever. And the, then, uh, the question is, what more could the school have done? Because um, I was talking to someone who was a teacher and they're like, well, why didn't they search the kid? And I told them, that the school called the parents in. She says, as soon as the parents were called in, like the school could no longer search the kids. So there might be like some legal things that like, even if the school wanted to do more, they might've been prevented from, to, from doing. Which is kind of when this these legal bullshits uh, backfire. Mm -hmm. So look, I don't want to, I don't want to go too, too much into school shootings. I want to talk well, about, I want to talk I, about. I'm just following, I'm, I'm just yeah. following the, the, the thread. And it seems like we're getting more from people talking about school shootings. So I'm kind of going with the people's. Well, point. since most of you are unlikely to shoot up schools, let's talk about some mental health ailments that, that may affect you more so than, uh, <laughs> than just students, because. Uh, well, let me ask you this. If, um, what do you think the effect of COVID in the last year and a half has been on mental health? Oh, funny you ask, because my next sentence was going to be coronavirus um, and child. Yeah, I can read your notes from here. Yeah, can you? It's upside down. Uh, I got a lot of them. So first, <laughs> I also had a note here. Uh, I started writing COVID and then I crossed it out and wrote coronavirus because I refused to. I, it's just like calling the flu influenza. It's just yeah. like you're kind of taking yourself more seriously. Um, I've been I've been running with coronavirus for way to fight back yeah. against the powers. Yeah, well, this is only so you know I can keep my mask under my nose um, and and just cruise through public transit. That'll uh, show them. That'll show them exactly and, and call it coronavirus. I, I I get nothing else. I'm not going to push back much more than that. But I I think really we haven't begun to see the true effects of coronavirus on mental health and and mental health you know when it comes to social interaction um stress handling um and and just kind of psychological functioning well i, I think it's going to hit different groups differently like well, and, if you get adults they're affected much differently than kids were well and that's so i and that's what that's what i'm getting into is that adults have kind of their behavior mechanics already in place and life is going to suck and and you know they'll get depressed and they'll kind of snap back out of things now what's you know as life kind of gets back closer to normal now i was trying to think in our lifetime you know prior while we were maybe in a bit more developmental stage what kind of trauma on mass scale did we go through and the closest thing i could think of was uh, 9-11. And uh, can you th can you think of something? You're making me think nature? of a quote that I saw, which somebody like the question was, why is your generation so much more affected by mental illness than our generation? And they say, because we saw 3000 people die on live television when we were in middle school, and then things only got worse. Fair enough. Fair enough. And that, and we did literally watch people jumping out of buildings on live TV. That was, that was in very, school. Yeah. While we were sitting in school. Cause you know, what else were the news publications going to point their cameras at? So and I so, think we had like either eight or nine periods in the day. And I remember it happened in either second or third period that like the news broke. And then for like the remaining six or seven periods of the day, I had one teacher that tried to teach all the other teachers. Like we're not, Whatever the lesson plans were for today, they're thrown out. So, but the thing about nine eleven is uh, is that the world quickly, relative to coronavirus, went back to normal, and you know the news coverage didn't talk about nine eleven with the depth they did at first, 
but with the depth and for the duration that they've been talking about coronavirus. So I well, concur- it's, it's very difficult to compare the two events because 9-11 was one day and then decades of repercussions. Sure, sure. But but just think about it right now. If I turn on the radio and don't want to be thinking about coronavirus, it's it, like I they, they're never not talking about coronavirus. So music stations probably don't talk about it. Uh, uh, they do a little bit still. I listen to EQX all the time and they're still talking about coronavirus. Um, and then, you know, during, uh, you know, three months after 9-11, there's a really high chance you could turn on the news and they wouldn't be talking about the Twin Towers. Right. You know, and they, and yeah. they were. They I would were. say the news was pretty constant for probably four to six weeks. And then it started to drop off because like for several weeks, like they were still conducting rescue operations. True. True. So. Uh, what I'm getting at is that it it went away. You could get away from it more easily. And then, you know, if you want to, the, the biggest reminder would be when you traveled and then the airports were, were kind of crazy. Right. Right. I was going to say, when was the last time you flew and did you have to take your shoes off when you went through security? No, I got the TSA pre-check, keep my shoes on. Um, but, uh, but you could get away from it. Coronavirus is a little bit different. It's, it's more difficult to get away from. Um, but we recognize you and I, and people in our age range and older recognize that the world's going to return back to normal or to a, a level closer to normal. From but, COVID? Yes. But if you're, if you're younger, if you're four years old or you're 12 years old, two years is a lot bigger chunk of your life. Mm-hmm. And that is the normal, you know, a year, eight months into it, 14 months into it, 18 months into it. That's the new normal. Imagine having two years of school where like one year you're not even in school and then the next year you're like kind of half in school and half not or whatever. How big of an impact is that going to have on you? Well, that has a that has a huge impact because a, a lot of it has to do with socialization and how we learn from those around us, from making friends to building relationships, recognizing uh, other people's emotions and empathy, looking at people's facial expressions. Um, you know, you can't do that with, with masks, but well, you also can't do that if the only people you see every day are your parents. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that too. So I was thinking more back about adults and thinking about our parents and our grandparents. And the, so in thinking like, what have we been through? That's anything close to coronavirus. I thought, uh, what about world war two? Some of our parents may have lived. Through I remember World it War II. like it was yesterday. <laughs> uh, or some of our grandparents definitely lived through World War II, and then their parents, so your great grandparents, likely lived through World War One. And that wasn't just four to six months of media coverage or eighteen months of people wearing masks. That was the greater world as you knew it was at war. Well, the, even with Vietnam. Like that's more recent, more likely to for people to have experienced it, because at this point, if you were even alive in World War Two, you're old. So I have Vietnam, like people could still get drafted in Vietnam. But but back to mental health. Uh, And and we look at the older people as as somehow having a better mental health. Now, the difference, because I noted Vietnam. Um, and Vietnam is more along the lines of where we are today in dealing with these issues. So back in those times when the world was at war, the U.S. was at war, we were united as a country. We were sacrificing for the country. Vietnam, we weren't united as a country. And that's and that's what I that was my one issue with Vietnam is that Vietnam is kind of closer to the struggle that we're going through today where there was support for it and people that were also very much against it and then fighting with each other. So yeah, more recently you can compare Iraq and Afghanistan. Like when we went to war in Afghanistan, virtually nobody was opposed to that. But when we went to war in Iraq, there was a much bigger debate. Yeah. Um, so, so really what I think is going to happen, especially when it comes to childhood development is we're going to have a lot of issues with these interpersonal skills. Um, think about think about sharing sharing is something that in our generation was uh very much reinforced 
Yeah, it was pushed pretty hard. Now it is explicitly uh, uh, forbidden. <laughs> yeah, but not for the not because sharing is bad. It's because in the current environment, sharing is perceived by some to be dangerous because of coronavirus. Let me let me ask you a question though, because you want to teach somebody why they can't share. Uh, imagine trying to explain to a two-year-old to to a level where they could comprehend why they must be wearing a mask. I wouldn't even bother. I would say, this is going to be fun. You, sh- you can put this on, look at the pretty colors. That doesn't work, though, because four seconds later, they're ripping it off their face and, and chewing on it. Yeah, uh, you make up some lie about like how they have to do it, and like if they don't, then like some some trumped up charges or whatever will apply. Like well, if you don't, if you if you take off the mask, the boogeyman's gonna get you or something. You just use fear tactics. But that only holds up so long because you got to be wearing it so fucking always. And and imagine the idea of cementing that the air is deadly into the mind of a toddler, and the implications that that's going to have playing out with you know whether anxiety issues as they get older or ocd which technically is an anxiety issue like uh, that's a that's a very difficult place to be and just think about the repercussions of of trying to explain to a two three four five year old the air is deadly and if you breathe the air you can kill your grandma i i don't think that that's Please don't become a parent. <laughs> so, uh, but obviously you wouldn't explain it at that level, but, but, you know, really that's, that's kind of the ultimate level in trying to explain it. And, and you don't want to have to take it there, but, but that's kind of the reality of, of the situation. And you, then you have to dumb it down and, and, and let's be real. Cartoon. Like even before coronavirus, kids have just been the vectors of disease. <laughs> Possibly true. Or at least, uh, at least the flu. At least I have never been as sick in my life as some of the times when I was teaching. You know, I ride the I ride the subway system in uh, in the city, so that's always worked pretty well for me. That I'm touching things and breathing people's air, and people are coughing and fainting and farting and shit. Yeah, but again, if you're at a school, you're in there for like six or seven hours, whereas if you're in the subway, maybe for the like in an entire day, you're in it for an hour, an hour and a half. So. So, but yeah, I think I think childhood implications, mental health, social, uh, basically socially, social repercussions are going to be big. I think they're going to be really big because if you're, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, well, you might be able to have a reasonable conversation with an adult and appear to be a uh, a a. Uh, a human who can interact in society and, and have an understanding of things. Two years of not being exposed to strangers, not being able to see people's expressions, um, things along those lines are going to have an impact as you get older. Because, you know, at eight years old, two years is a quarter of your life. And, and really, you weren't that aware for the first two or three years of, of what your surroundings were. So it's almost like half your life. It, it's almost like a third to a half of your life that the world isn't normal. So we know as adults that, you know, we'll get through this and yeah, shit will be fucked up a little bit, but like it'll be closer to normal. So, um, well, and we also intuitively know that at some point coronavirus is going to go away and then life will return pretty much to the way it was before with a couple small exceptions. But it's really hard for to explain that to a kid because their reference point for what normal life was, was extremely small. So they don't have that much certainty about it. And they also have seen things be weird for close to half their life. So yeah. it's going to be really hard to say like, no, don't worry. It's not going to be like this forever. Their response is going to be like, well, it's been like this forever for my forever. entire life. It's, yeah, <laughs> forever as far as you can comprehend it and, and remember. So so I want to get into a bit more of the adult mental health aspect of things. And, uh, you know, before, just so I, I don't forget to, to talk about this. Uh, yeah, you want to hit some of the comments real quick, see if there's anything we well, need to address? Yeah, well, you want to read through them? I, I'm, I have no idea what's going on. Uh, I see something from Debbie Ferry, something else from Elizabeth. But we got we to gotta scroll through these comments and catch up. What do we miss? Um, 
So Robin was talking about how New York City actually created a, pro, um, a, a pilot program with mental health counselors in all New York City schools. So think about like when we were in school, was there anyone we could go and talk to for like our mental health problems? Well, like I, there was like know, one school counselor that made like really they, but nobody. They but they nobody, don't teach mental. Yeah, nobody went to them. Uh, if anything, they were assigned, you know, from a teacher uh, through the parents saying, hey, you, there's this kid's got some issues. Yeah, but uh, like nobody, they, no, none of the kids would be like, I want to go talk to such and such a counselor. It was like almost like a punishment. I had I, I was introduced to the guidance counselor at a, at a young age um, and spent a lot of time in, in, you know, with the guidance counselor. But I was one of very few students. And I was forcibly in I was forcibly placed in the counselor's office more than once when I was in elementary school. <laughs> yeah. So so you and I maybe maybe more than maybe more than most. But uh, but how many uh, of our like think about any of our friends? No, exactly. And, and like you and I were probably the only ones of the people that we hung out with. And uh, I would actually probably of everybody we knew uh, in in middle, elementary school, middle school, and high school, I don't really know anybody else that spent any time with, with uh, adult counselors. And, and there's no aspect of the core curriculum that teaches mental health. Uh, maybe health classes now in between sex ed and, and, and uh, discouraging kids from using drugs, maybe addressing some mental health stuff. But when it comes to science or maths or Yo, you just made me think. So the health class that we took in high school, do you remember us talking about mental health at all? That's that's why I said maybe now. Maybe because I remember it was like two things. It was drugs and sex ed. Yeah, that's all I can think of. So maybe and now maybe a some... little bit about nutrition. <laughs> yes, and but eat as much bread as you can. Stay away from candy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, like bread and candy are actually calorically very similar, but that's the basis of the American diet is rice and bread um, and pasta. So, uh, so, so real quick, I want to talk slightly, slightly more about adult mental health. And I don't know if you caught some of that video that I share with you beforehand, but it's uh, kind of a mental health um uh, thing I subscribe to on YouTube. I can't think of the name, but I'll look it up and try to share it in the link. But right off the bat, they said, when you're in the grips of mental illness, you are no longer capable of thinking. And I'm paraphrasing that. But I think when you're, you know, when you're kind of going through an episode, whether it's depression or anxiety, uh, despite your fervent focus, your thoughts are not rational and you can't trust even yourself. Uh, and I think... I think we have a bit of that going on now with the high, strong, high anxiety coronavirus club that's helping us perpetuate the media coverage of coronavirus. But, but in general, even before coronavirus, we had lots of people going through depression, high anxiety, super burnout from work. And, uh, and I don't know what allowed that to manifest because if you look at our, our you know, our, our, the generation above us, they look down at us and say, you know, we were working harder than you and somehow you're getting burned out. Well, two things there. First, I don't actually agree with the older generation saying that they are working harder than us. I would say they were working differently than us. The second is, the older generation was never exposed to social media. Well, yeah, so social media. So, so real quick, I just uh, want to finish this thought though that you know when you're when you are not mentally straight, um, your mind starts to look at reality through a distorted lens, and the brain is also super complex. And typically, what happens is we hyper focus on things that may not be a true reflection of reality. Just like the girl that you were dating who thought people were talking about her and she had some kind of severe paranoia. She wasn't, it wasn't her fault. No, but she wasn't looking at, at reality through a clear lens. There was, she wasn't capable of it. And it because, and, and, and also unaware that it was, it was when you're in mental illness, you can't, you, you can't even realize that you can't trust yourself and that you're not capable of thinking straight. Your, your, your mind is just, is distorted. And, and unfortunately 
as much self-awareness as you're able to employ, it often isn't enough. Well, the problem there is, like, if you think about it, the only thing that we know that we can trust in our lives is our own thoughts. Those are the only thing that's ever been consistent in our entire lives. And so when your own thoughts start to betray you, you don't have the resources or the ability to be able to question that because that's the only thing that you've ever had to base yourself on. So it's really hard to be able to recognize that. That your, your speedometer is off, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and that your point of reference it can no longer be a trusted point of reference. So, uh, you know, I, I know a few years ago you were going through a, a pretty heavy bout of depression. I've been through uh, some pretty uh, decent bouts with depression. Um, and I know it can be crippling. So here's one thing. I, I, I think I've only really had like one period of time where I was severely depressed and like, Thankfully, it's not chronic for me, but it made me realize what people who have depression go through. And it's not just like when you think depression, you think it was like someone just being like sad or weepy or whatever. And that's not what it is. It's it's the ability to get motivation to do things just completely evaporates and making any kind of achievement whatsoever just become like think about it when you're at the gym and you're on your 10th rep of the third set and pushing up that bar it's taking everything you can do so now imagine that feeling but it's getting out of bed and putting on clothes and going to work or going to the store to buy food or whatever or just anything that requires something of you seems like a hill you can't climb that's a that's a good way to describe it that's a that's it's very well stated um, and it made me it made me have a lot of sympathy for people who have a condition where they feel like that every single day. Yeah, and it's very it's very tough to break that cycle. And you know, with the advent of social media, not even the advent with you know we're, we're certainly beyond the advent of social media. Um, but social media certainly doesn't help. It doesn't help people relax. Um, and, and, and the thing about social media also is that you have no control over what you're exposed to. Um, for anxiety, I've never really had anxiety, but I've been around a lot of people who do. And one of the best descriptions I heard about anxiety disorders is, you know, how when you're in a video game, like, and you're about to like get attacked or you're in a boss fight or something like that, like the action music is playing. Yeah. So anxiety disorder is like. The action, that action music playing, but you're in the store. Yeah, it, no, it's 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 like your heart rate's going double double what it needs to be, and it shouldn't. Um, so it, like it, it's the the action music is playing. Something must be wrong. I need to be in a heightened sense of awareness, and all you're doing is just ringing out your groceries. So uh, I want to uh, just discuss a couple things that people can do. So hold on, I want to hit the comments real quick because Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth says in school they don't talk or teach about mental health because they would have to in this society exists. Every day those who suffer from it find it difficult to live in this society. And then she also says like the way I describe depression works, but everyone every depression is different. And that's true. I'm just like for people that haven't experienced it, I'm trying to give them an idea as to what it's like to go through in terms of the way that ordinary behaviors that you don't think twice about for someone who's like clinically depressed is like that 10th rep. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, when, if you haven't been through depression, it's really easy to critique someone's actions when they're depressed and say, Oh, well, you just got to get out of bed and take a, take a shower and, you know, go for a little jog. But it's, it's each of those, each of those things is a week's worth of effort just just to get started and uh and it's it's almost weird it's like your motivation is actually working against you it's like this negative negative force well and it also is self-reinforcing where when when you like the things that you need to do to get out of depression are the hardest things to do while you're depressed very true so let's talk about some ways to build mental health 
build mental health. So we're not talking about digging your way out of depression, although these things can help if you uh, have anxiety or have depression or, or you have some of these mental health disorders. But uh, no, we should probably add that neither of us are mental health counselors. So if you guys really do have needs or help or whatever, you should find someone that's a professional. Yeah. And, and my last my last note on here is uh, is you may need professional help. So uh, but first and foremost, take care of your physical health and well-being. So having a good diet and employing some exercise uh, is both preventative and corrective. So it will help you keep your mental health. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, acute. And uh, if you are feeling depressed or anxious, a little jog or a brisk walk or getting out, getting some fresh air, and then keeping your diet clean. Think about how you feel after you eat a salad versus how you feel after you eat Chinese food. You know, simply put, it you know it's better for your mental health as well as your physical health. Um, learn some techniques to deal with stress. So learn some coping mechanisms. Um, you know, you can just Google coping mechanisms for stress, and uh, you know whether that's uh, breathing exercises or counting to ten or you know meditating. Step outside and take a two minute walk. Yeah, I I, I do that. Well, I haven't done it lately. Um, probably cause I'm crazy anxious and overwhelmed, but very often when I get really pissed in the office, like I have a deal falling apart or somebody's pissed at me or one thing or another, I'll go for a, a little walk around the block or do a couple of block walk or just get out of the office. Actually, no, I, I, I do it recently. Um, I've done it recently and just getting out and getting some fresh air, getting yourself in a physically different place gives some, gives you some additional perspective. That's, that's always good. Um, set realistic and reachable goals. So especially when you're coming out of depression, your those goals may not be very grandiose goals. They may be very, very small, like take a shower today, put on clean clothes, iron my clothes for the day. Um, you know, they, they may be now all three, three or four of those things might sound like something big, but one, but you know, w- one small thing helps. And if, if you're, you know, if you're not in bad mental health, doing those things will help, uh, you know, will help you keep your mental health, uh, taking care of yourself, uh, improving yourself will, will be, will be good for your mental health. Um, the important thing is to also not beat yourself up if you don't achieve the goals that you set, because then that'll set you back. Uh, that's next on my list after get adequate sleep is, uh, uh, not to be too hard on yourself. So, but yeah, sleep, getting adequate sleep, very, very important. Um, gives you some clarity of mind. And a lot of times when you're depressed or anxious or, you, or stressed, um, sleep is tough. So that may, you know, mean that you spend time reading before you go to sleep. You, uh, you don't drink caffeine late in the day, things like that. Anything you can do to help you sleep. Um, and then I have, uh, listen to less news. So, uh, you don't want to have the news on all the time. I, a lot of mornings I, I wake up finding myself in a bad mood because I'm listening to the news. Can I add in less social media exposure? Well, that's, that's, uh, that's next social media. Like I was saying a minute ago, you have no control over what you're exposed to. There's, uh, not super often, but on occasion I'll come home, I'll, uh, get myself a drink, sit back on a nice uh, armchair, throw my feet up, open uh, social media app, 25 minutes goes by and uh, I am not relaxed at all <laughs> because I'm just like super engaged. If you want to relax, you know, listen to some music, uh, watch a movie that maybe you've already seen before and know what to expect. But with social media, you never know what's what's around the corner of the next swipe. And, you know, it, it what you see affects you on a psychological and subconscious level. And, and that affects your mental health. Um, and then uh, a couple of things to take on a regular basis. Vitamin D, always good. Uh, omega-3, like a fish oil, always good for your state of mind. Uh, ashwagandha, I like a little ashwagandha on a pretty regular basis. Any, now you're uh, just making up words. <laughs> no, I take ashwagandha every day um, for mental health. Um, I, I got a bunch of good vitamins of mine. I'll have to, I'll have to share that some episode. Uh, uh, Robin says vibrant.org is a website for New Yorkers and they can access free counseling and resources. 
vibrant.org, V-I-B-R-A-N-T. Uh, anything else you want to add before we sign off today, James? No, we've hit everything. All right, cool. I, I like that episode. I think this was a this is a good one. So if you guys had mental health issues, always good to seek professional help. If you're feeling suicidal, call the suicide hotline. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. Cheers to all of you. And we will uh we'll see you guys next time. This has been a fun episode, episode 153. James, thank you, Rosh. Thank you for managing the back end and feeding us everybody's comment. And for yeah, those good guys comments today for everyone who was listening, listening and watching. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you guys next time. Yo, that concludes this podcast. Thank you guys for listening. If you made it this far, you better be a subscriber. If you're not, please subscribe. Uh, if you got beef with us, throw in the comments. I'd love to hear. Um, but uh, but on the real, I want to share with you guys the phone number for Suicide Hotline. Uh, if you got this far and you're uh, and you're not feeling that great in the head. You gotta talk to somebody. Um, uh, suicide is uh, is a terrible thing, and uh, the phone number to call is eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. That's a suicide hotline. Eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Yes, I am reading it off the screen over here. Excuse my eye line, um, but uh, I hope you got something out of this episode. And if we missed anything, please. Uh, Share it in the comments. Don't forget any interaction with this podcast, whether it's uh, on the audio podcast, you throw me a quick five stars, or in the video podcast, you give me a thumbs up and a comment uh, and share. That uh, that helps. So uh, thank you, guys. Um, appreciate you being here for me. It's, uh, it's a good outlet that I have, and I'm thankful that you guys are here to listen. And uh, I'll see you guys next time. Adios. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.